There it is. All right, ladies and gents, everybody, we are back for an awesome show. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun today. I'm really excited about uh, financial coaching, finances. Oh, this, this is my bread and butter. So let's jump in. Let's have some fun. Practicing polyamory, real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this beautiful day. Before we jump in and chat with our awesome guests, I want to remind everybody that we do three shows every week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we are open for questions. So if you have questions about your relationships, if there's a topic that you'd like to hear discussed on the show, uh, or if you tune in live, you can catch, you can ask us questions live on the show. Follow us on all social medias at Practicing Poly A. Send me a message so we can cover any topic that you want on the show. Uh, and as always, I want to remind everybody, if you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. We're here to share our imperfect stories. And I want to get as many voices as possible to speak here because I know that the more stories we hear, the more others will see us in themselves. And the more representation we have, the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right. I apologize. I said ladies and gentlemen earlier, but ladies and gentle thems, let's get on to the best part of the show and introduce our awesome guest. Our guest today knows that money is an emotional subject. Depending on how you grew up, the subject of money can often be scary, daunting, and overwhelming. Sometimes it's the fear of not having enough. Other times it's the fear of losing everything you have. After years of toiling with unfulfilling jobs that paid well but offered no sense of purpose, our guest learned that his emotions around money were holding him back. He decided it was time for a change, and he embarked on a journey of self-discovery. Our guest realized that, much like all our other relationships, each of us has an attachment style to money. He used this knowledge to heal his own relationship, which helped him move from money anxiety to financial empowerment. And now he wants to help do the same for polycules and marginalized communities everywhere. Along with a quiz to help you identify your money attachment style, our guest is offering a free course called The Five-Day Money Reset. And today, we'll learn what those five days are all about and plenty more. Joining us today from Empathic Finance out of Portland, Oregon, welcome to the show, Mike Pumphrey. I know what it's like to lose. I don't have my producer today. I totally hit the wrong button. Mike. Hey, how's it show? going? It Thank you very awesome. much. It is, uh, it is great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. It is such a pleasure, man. You, you have quite a story uh, and finance in general. This is, you know, close to my heart. I, I, I'm a, I'm, you know, an entrepreneur. I've got my business. I've been doing all kinds of financial stuff, you know, for, I've been, I guess, an entrepreneur for most of my life. Tell me your story, though. This is what we're here to hear. Tell me your story. Tell me about uh, your your money journey, and uh, you know we'll get into the rest of the stuff there too. Sure, sounds great. So it's funny that you say that that money is close to your heart because I've found actually that that's that's true for a lot of people, but not actually in a good way. I think a lot of people would prefer that money was a little bit farther away from their heart mm -hmm. uh, because uh, people have a lot of 
anxiety and difficulties around money. And I am no different. I, I grew up in a very anxious family in terms of money. So there was a lot of, you know, we were never, you know, we never went hungry. We we're never out on the street or anything like mm -hmm. that. But there was always a sense that there was a financial disaster around the corner. Uh, and so I grew up feeling anxious about money. And, and that's one of the things that many years later taught me that there's a difference between actually having money challenges, you know, in terms of your budget and how much money you have and how much money you feel like you have. So mm. the emotions around money are very, can be very different from the actual amounts of money you have. Uh, Cause yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people feel poor, but are, are they poor? Like they might not be, you know, like what does even poor mean? Right. Well, yeah, I always say poor is a mentality. Broke is a temporary situation. Um, I want to say I want to say that was a Robert Kiyosaki thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, when we get into those situations, when we grow up having not a ton of money, you know, barely scraping by, we start to develop these emotions around it for you what was what was your attachment what was your what were your emotions around money before you made this realization and how did it change so for me growing up in an, in an anxious family around money i always believed that i was never going to have enough that i was going to be poor that i was going to be broken out on the street i had a you know even even into my even into my 20s I, there was this retail job that i had and i was always all you know and i left it but i, I was always afraid that someday i'm just going to end up back there kind of like that dream that you have that you're still in high school and there's a there's a final exam but you haven't been to class and you just, you, you, you have that dream, you know, you're just like, yeah, oh no, yeah. I thought I graduated from high school. <laughs> you know? I, was always, I was always worried about that with, with, uh, with jobs and income and that sort of thing. So what, what my coping strategy was, was to figure out everything about money, just like everything to get super nerdy, super focused and, and basically try and micromanage everything about money in my own personal, you know, world. And that was fine. That was great. And then after a while, I realized that, wait a second, that isn't necessarily the whole story. I realized that I was still harboring a lot of these fears and feelings about money, about not having enough and never going to be enough. And I realized that any amount of micromanaging and spreadsheets and saving 35 cents on the thing that I was about to buy wasn't really getting to the heart of what, uh, what was really important. And so I embarked on a little bit of a journey realizing that you, you can't, separate emotions from money. And mm. if you do that, you're really only getting half the picture. And so for me, learning that money connects to every part of your life, especially your emotions, your fears, your dreams, your goals, and everything, that really was a catalyzing moment for me. And I realized that there's something here and I needed to, I needed to follow that through. That is powerful. It's just powerful. I mean, there's, there's, <sighs> When you talk about the emotions of money, I mean, there are few things that get me more anxious, right? Uh, running a business and having employees and having, you know, people that, that count on me, people that, that depend on me, like that puts a lot of pressure and having, you know, when, when there's issues around money, it gets really intense, really scary, can drive me into, you know, into into states of depression even like it, it gets really bad so when we learn to take that anxiety when we learn to 
it's not it's not a matter you said it's not a matter of separating emotion it's the fact that they're completely tied together and it's just recognizing that and what's the next thing what how, once we recognize it once we identify it what's the next piece of the puzzle so for me i i like to talk about one's money story you know so we all have a money story we all have beliefs around money uh what we what we believe to be true about ourselves what we believe to be true about money like you know money is out there waiting to be had some people believe that some people think that there's never enough and if i have a dollar then someone doesn't have a dollar and like there's this kind of a zero sum and there are some people that just like money what i don't want to think about it and they just avoid it and they try and spend as little as possible time thinking about money so recognizing what your own money story is, is such a powerful thing to do because once you do that, and this is true about any kind of personal development, you can ask yourself, okay, is this working for me? You know, I'm sure, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a thing that people find in mental health situations with a therapist. You know, this is a belief you have, is this working for you? Because I find that a lot of people can't get out of their own way when it comes to money. Mm -hmm. There are yeah. opportunities out there that are th that allow people to thrive, but if you don't believe that they're out there, if you don't if you don't think that that's part of you, you're going to walk past mm -hmm. a $100,000 opportunity and you're not even going to see it. I think about uh, one of my good buddies, uh, one of my one of my best friends from the Navy. Uh, he <laughs> I've, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit and early on when we met, you know, I told him about buying you know real estate and you know all these different things and he was like okay well when when we're done with this navy stuff i'll go work for you it's fine and i was like well what do you want to do he said i just want to be 65 and retire and you know whatever like everybody else does so there's like this difference of what's possible and what's what's realistic for each different person um and i guess that's that's the part that it sounds like you get to the heart of like what is the story that you accept and you tell yourself around money and what possibilities do you see for yourself does that sound about right yeah i think a lot of for a lot of people they you know we're we're kind of you know thrown out into the world and we have jobs and we make money and we got to make more money and we have to earn more income but a lot of times we don't stop to think why we don't stop to ask ourselves what are we really looking for you know, like, oh, mm -hmm. we have to put enough money away to retire, you know, all these these financial best practices that are are told to us. And and usually they're they're in our best interest. But I find that as we are become adults and get out in the world, what ends up happening is that we forget to dream. We forget mm -hmm. to actually ask ourselves what's important because it's not always about making more money. In fact, right. it often isn't. You can make lots of money, but if you're miserable, who cares? Yeah, totally. So let's let's talk a little bit more about that why. So you discovered your why. You found something, uh, and I know that this was something that you wanted to talk about when it comes to reaching out to folks in the non-monogamous communities, other marginalized communities. It was something that you discovered that you wanted to tell me about uh, that kind of led you to where you are today, serving, going after the communities that you're going after. Sure. Yeah. So, so um, years ago, not too many years ago, I guess it was 2000, you know, about ten, almost 10 years ago at this point, this is when I really started to, to catalyze the idea that I wanted to do money coaching. You know, the, I was in a kind of a not sure place. And I love the phrase that I heard once that when you don't know what to do, you find someone to help and help them. 
So mm. I'm like, all right, okay. I, that's a, it's a good kind of life lesson. It's like when you're not sure what to do, find someone who needs help, you know. And and so I was in that mindset, and I, I realized I'd done a lot of money work, and I realized that a lot of people needed money help. And so I was sort of developing this idea to go into business and do money coaching. And so I went to a training class, and I went to this financial counselor's training class. And maybe maybe we don't even need to go into where you know who was doing it, but we but I went to this place and I was learning how to do financial coaching and counseling. Mm -hmm. And during the the course of this you know three day it was three day event, uh, there were definitely some shall I say some kind of personality ethical conflicts that that came up, as in the people who were facilitating this uh, this course had a lot of opinions about things that were really uh, shall I say, not in alignment with me. Um, okay. for example, you know, so we were talking about coaching, uh, couples versus individuals, you know, because there mm -hmm. are the, 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 there are many different things that you have to do with, with couples than you do with individuals. You know, there's, there's just a different mindset. You have different money interactions and, and personal interactions. And so I was asking, you know, what about, you know, what are the legal ramifications? There's one question I asked, what are the legal ramifications for, same-sex couples versus, uh, you know, hetero opposite-sex couples. This was back before same-sex marriage was legalized. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that was, you know, it was a legal question that I had. And the, the facilitators went into this big, long, frankly, completely irrelevant, just rant about how they didn't want to support the their agenda and oh. they didn't want to, you know, they're not doing this sort of oh. thing and that they would actually treat them as as not a couple oh, and, they just, what? and they would charge them double and oh know, god as, as if that yes i and and this is not Ugh. you know this is and i'm not trying to defame anyone but this is this is le legitimately what happened and so meanwhile my jaw is on the floor and i'm like because all i was asking was like how do you do this differently i wasn't trying to be super provocative or anything wow. like that and I just sort of like slumped in my chair going like, what am I doing here? Like it was, it was a really powerful Ugh. negative because this is a very popular, this is a very, this team is very popular and yeah, yeah. probably know it. Um, and so I was thinking to myself, like, what do I do with this? Because I really felt, I really felt like icky. I felt, yeah, I felt and, yeah. I feel icky, like hearing it. That's just. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I realized that, that people can take their biases and they can justify it any way they want. And it's not for me to try and change people's minds if they're coming into their bigotry and their bias. All I want, all, what it made me think of is that, what do I do with the people who see this team's message and say, well, that's clearly not for me. There's so much exclusion in the message. Like, you know, these team will only work with you if you're a very specific, narrow portion in life. And that excludes lots of people. It excludes probably most people. And, mm -hmm. and so I got to this point where I'm like, what do I do? And I realized that I want to work with the people who are being ignored, the people who are not being spoken to by traditional financial media. I kind of joked and say like, I want to work with the heathens. You know? <laughs> Hell yes. I love that. You know, like I want to work with the people that are just like, you know what? I'm doing things differently. I'm not working the standard, you know, jello mold and I'm I'm going to live my own life and for the people that don't feel seen and supported and heard that that is 
that that is my group. That's my mission. That's my people. And those are the people that I want to help. Hell yes. Hell yes. I 100% feel you on that. I, I don't know. I don't remember if I told you, but I'm actually looking to potentially start um, doing something similar to, to do a, a financial coaching thing. I haven't put any of it together at all. Just, you know, trying to, to think about it, but I have, you know, a similar vision, you know, it's, it's definitely about um, reaching people that aren't typically reached right? Financial coaching, financial literacy, these things are often out of reach, uh, especially for marginalized communities. You know, I think of uh, my younger brother. So uh, that's him right there. Um, you can't really see it, but I'll bring this one down real quick. This is my little brother, Danny, right? He was uh, killed in in 2019. Um, Sorry. But you know, the, 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 when I look at this picture, when I see him, like there are people that, that look like my brother that financial coaching is out of reach for a myriad of reasons, right? Whether it's financial a lot of times or the outreach isn't there or, you know, all of these different things. So I kind of want to, I kind of want to ask you, like, like, what are you doing to, outreach to those communities what are you how are you reaching the community that you want to reach the people that are usually ignored how are you reaching them well um going uh, well i would say one thing is going on podcasts that have to do with polyamory um oh wait <laughs> like, uh, like uh, what we're doing right hey, now you know uh, hey yeah, that sounds uh, familiar hi <laughs> yeah so uh, for me for me a lot of it is to be where be where people are so for me, the the polyamory side of things is that it's a community that that I'm aware of, that I'm a part of, that I know lots of people in it, in, you know, in, in Portland and around. And so, you know, you you work with you work with who you know, you work with what you know. And so mm -hmm. for me, it's a matter of getting the word out in in like-minded communities and 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 just and showing and showing literacy with the community you know i don't want to claim yes. to be anything i'm not you know it's why i say like i'm not a tax person and i'm not a lawyer and i'm not there's lots of things that i'm not but what i can do is i can help people with their finances and i understand what it means to be polyamorous and so with that i i can speak conversantly with the the specific needs and you know the the i can speak the lingo and i understand and just like when you're looking for a therapist you don't want to have to explain everything to a therapist right mm -hmm. you know you don't want to have to explain your life and have the therapy you don't have to educate your therapist you want them right. to know the basic stuff and so for me that's the exact same thing is that i want to you know i i want to let people know that i am able to, when someone says like, I have, you know, I was, I got dinner with my metamor the other night. I want, I don't want them to have to say like, and this is what a metamor is. Right. You know, yep. it, 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 and because that just, that gets in the way of the, you know, the, the coaching relationship. I want people mm -hmm. to, to recognize that I know um, that, that basically like I, I know how it works and I understand the, the unique skills and, you know, and, and challenges that go into it, having ethical non-monogamous relationships. Absolutely. It does. I mean, I love that this is something that we're able to bring is to find people that are professionals like you, that we don't have to have that 
additional conversation. You know, that, that that's what makes uh, having poly-friendly professionals such a great thing. So having speaking from your own experience or from the experience of having worked with polyamorous clients, what are some things that, you know, poly folks do the same? What are some things that we do differently from others? Um, tell me, tell me about some of your experiences. So there, there's obviously some specific unique scenarios involved with folks who are in uh, multiple relationships or non-monogamous relationships. So there's things like uh, when you have a, you know, a couple with a new partner, then there's a question about, you know, how do you, how do you pay for dates? Things like that. You know, when you have mm -hmm. a, a more established V or a triangle or a W or something like that, how do you manage finances when there's more than two people, uh, when there's more than two people around, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. and, and I like to say that even before you get to the multiple person scenario, you got to look at the, the, the two person scenario when it comes to, to sharing finances, because even that's super complicated. And right. most people may not even necessarily know what they do with their part partner, if they're in a monogamous relationship, but there's a lot of ways to combine and share or not share your finances things like you know do you go all in do you keep things separate do you do some things joint do you do most things joint do you have like you do you give your partner an allowance like there's a lot of different ways to have mm -hmm. relationships with money and when you get to multiple more than two then you have to do that calculation but kind of squared right you know you got to do that with everyone and you have to make those decisions and all the more reason for you to make them intentionally and explicitly so figuring that out and having those conversations which you know shouldn't conversations is a you know not a shouldn't be a, a hard thing to do here this is not a it's not a conversation sure. free world you know but but uh, you know it, it, it people don't necessarily know or want to have conversations about money and that's something that i'm here to try and help people kind of break the stigma about break the taboo and realize that these hard conversations can actually lead mm -hmm. to better and more more powerful and more connected relationships totally agree with that totally agree with that i i, I kind of think that that goes back to uh what we started talking about which was the attachment theory of money and i want to give you an, an opportunity to talk about that because you have uh, a money quiz on your website which i took um and i'll t I'll, I'll talk about what, what my results were uh later but tell me about what, what you've discovered about you know this attachment theory and how it applies to money so for for people who aren't necessarily familiar with attachment style, I, I, I sort of I, I'm, I'm going to guess that a lot of people on on this or listening to this are. But attachment style is our way of relating to others, and oftentimes it's we think about it in terms of romantic partners, but it could also be you know parent child you know work any any anything that we have any people that we have relationships to. And you may have heard phrases like, you know, secure attachment or anxious avoidance. And, and it's the way in which we relate. So, uh, you know, if you're an anxious, you know, if you have an anxious attachment to 
you know, in your relationships, then you tend to be, you know, you tend to be challenged and always want to be kind of pull, pushing the person or pulling the person closer to you. And if you're avoidant, then you tend to be maybe someone who's, you know, less more overwhelmed by, you know, it, when a when a partner wants a lot of emotional attention, they may want to push them away. Uh, and these are ways that we can model and understand how we interact with others. And so a lot of people may be familiar with attachment styles that relates to people, but that's also true with money as well. You can have an attachment style and a relationship with anything and money affects every aspect of our lives. We deal with money all the time in mm -hmm. every way in our life. And so the money, so we have a money attachment style too. And, and, and realizing that it was very interesting that when I was talking to clients and other people, I realized that this is something it's, it's like the money story. It's what is your relationship to money? Do you have a secure attachment to money? Which is to say, do you, do you believe that you'll have enough and that you don't need to cling and you don't need to run away from it? You know, some people have, um, think people have an anxious attachment to mm -hmm. money where they don't feel like they're going to have enough. And that was totally me growing up is you know, the, the scarcity mindset, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so there's that, but there's also other different attachment styles as well. There's avoidant, like money. What's that? I don't think about it. I don't want to think about it. I pretend that money doesn't exist. And so, so I developed this, this, you know, short quiz, uh, in order to be able to help people understand their own money attachment style. And then because that tells you both your strengths and your challenges gives you ideas on how you can, you know, improve your relationship or just become more aware of it. So I found it, it was a very helpful and powerful way of modeling your relationship to money, which is something that I see and deal with all of the time with people I work with. Yeah, I, I, I loved uh, taking that quiz. I loved what I learned from it. It was it was really cool too. Uh, so my attachment style ended up being uh, secure, although there were some questions that I... I I was like, oh, it's one of these two somewhere in the middle. Um, and, you know, there's there's definitely some anxiety for me, too. Now I'm going to challenge you on something. I'm going to ask you something that might be a, a little a little challenging. That was the word. Um, when it comes to these attachment styles, I think this is just my theory here that privilege has a lot to plays a part in this. Right. So if you come from a family and privilege of all kinds. Right. So I come from a family that, uh, you know, had both my parents and they were, um, uh, you know, able bodied and everything was good. They could work. They could, you know, and everything. So so even though we weren't rich, we didn't have a ton of money. There was always enough. Right. And you seem to have something similar. But people that are more marginalized that come from different communities that don't have nearly enough might have different attachment styles might not feel I, I, my theory here is that more uh, marginalized community might have more anxious attachment styles than secure. What do you think? It's an interesting question. Um, I think that I think prime. I think very strongly that our attachment style to money, just like our attachment style in re relating to others, is very much uh, affected by our family of origin. 
So our upbringing, uh, definitely, because we're we don't we don't natively have any relationship to money at all. Like money is not something that we are born even understanding. We're mm -hmm. taught this. Money is modeled for us by our parents and our guardians and our siblings and things like that. So so we we learn these ways of relating. So I think that one's way of relating, because it's based on you know how it was modeled for us, that yes, if you have uh, positions of privilege of whatever hue of privilege, then that could very, that could definitely affect one's attachment style. But I would also, I, I wonder how much, because I, you know, I'm thinking of, of not, I'm, I'm thinking of the idea that you don't have to be insecure. You know, you said the difference between being poor and broke, you know, as in you can have not a lot Mm -hmm. and be secure about it. You know, there was, you know, right. the story of like, you know, my family, we never had much, you know, we didn't do much for, for Christmas, but we always knew we'd get by. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you take a, uh, you take a family like that and they're, what they're modeling is a secure attachment. And we're going to make do, we're going to get through, we're going to get through together. And you know, that's, yeah. you could be, you know, in a very low income, very marginalized situation and still have that. And the reverse is also true which is to say that you could come from very wealthy area. You, you know, you can come from tons of money, tons of privilege and everything. But there's a thing that happens when people that have a lot of wealth is that sometimes the only thing that you gain from having a lot of money is the fear of losing it. <laughs> yep. So, yep. you know, what have you really gained there? And so you could have a situation where you have tons of privilege, tons of wealth, and then but you're modeling this, we have this and we can't lose it. So, so I, I think there is some kind of relationship to privilege, but I think that, that, that money attachment style can come from many different, different backgrounds. And I think anyone can have any type of relationship style and, and they're all okay. There's nothing, you're nothing wrong with you. If you have an anxious attachment, it's just important to, to understand how you relate to money. And so that you can make your decisions based on that. I love it. Yeah, I think of like, I'm, I'm just imagining like two young kids growing up in the same household. And one of them grows up understanding. Yeah, I mean, we barely have anything, but we make it by the other ones like we never have anything growing up in the same household and just having different mindsets around money. So absolutely. And you're making me want to ask my brother to take my money quiz because now I want to I want to find out. I want to find out what what his money attachment style is compared to mine and see, you know, cause we both nice. live in the same house, you know, that's interesting. Hell yeah. I yeah. like it. I like it. Um, it was one other thing that I wanted to ask you and it was about your, uh, five days to reset. What, what was it called? Five days. Tell me, tell me, it's your five day money reset. So five day money reset. There you your, go. Your five day money reset. And this is, I don't want to say this, this isn't exclusive, but this is kind of a very new thing. I actually just released this, uh, this week. Uh, so depending on when you're listening to it, it was, you know, in the past, but so this is, is a new announcement. So I just created a mini course for helping people reset their understanding and relationship of money. So because I'm all about relationships and I'm all about relationships with money. And so your five day money reset is basically a chance to start over with money, break your preconceived notions and habits and beliefs. It's a chance to do a reset. You know, we're all talking about resets now, you know, with the pandemic, it's like, you know, getting out and doing things differently and, you know, doing your job differently or relating to your partner differently. And so too with money. 
So this is an opportunity for people to rethink things that they haven't thought about. Like when you go to spend money, you pull out a particular card. You know, maybe you haven't made that decision in a really long time. Do you spend with a credit card? Do you spend with a debit card? Do you take on debt? What do you believe about these things? These are all decisions that we've probably made a long time ago, and we haven't revisited them recently. And so this is a great opportunity for people to really look at the decisions that they've made and make them again to make sure that they're still working for them and that their their authentic self is making their decisions towards money. I love that. I love that. There is a freedom that I've found in exactly that connecting with my authentic self when it comes to uh, my own personal journey of money. Like, oh man, I'm telling you this, this fear, this anxiety, this like frustration around it. And it was just always there. Uh, but it wasn't necessarily your quiz because I took that earlier this week and it was like, oh, okay, that's cool. But over the past several months, especially, it's been a lot of just kind of turning inward and saying, you know what? It's like turning into that secure attachment, that uh, that idea of like the worst that can happen right now really isn't all that bad. Mm. Right there. Yeah, there. I mean you can, you know, money anxiety can crop up in any situation. The catalyst can be, you know, some kind of conversation you had. I'm glad to hear that my quiz didn't spark that in you because I'm trying to make it do the opposite. So, uh, so I'm, I'm glad I didn't cause anxiety in, in, in your life. Definitely not. I might take that down if that's the case. So hopefully that's not the thing. Uh, but no, but money anxiety can happen anywhere. It can be as simple as a conversation you have with someone, uh, simple as, you know, getting a letter in the mail or reading an email or or seeing someone's post on Instagram where they're, they're perfectly curated life, you know, mm -hmm. or, or making a little bit less money than you did last month. And then that brings up all sorts of fears of, oh my gosh, I'm going to be out on the street. So so it is a constant, I don't say constant, but it is, a, it is a lifelong struggle for us to get out of our own way and to develop the positive mindsets that can help us thrive. Because you're not going to be out on the street, you know, like in, in most cases, we're going to figure it out. You can make the decisions that are in line with your goals and your dreams so that when you get further along in life, you can say, this is where I wanted to be, not this is where someone else told me I should be. And we can yeah. do that. Definitely, definitely. But I mean, man, I, I, I read a lot of stories right now, like something that you said right now just kind of struck me um, where I'm, I'm looking in, in Facebook and there are people who are um, wind up houseless because mm -hmm you know, their landlord finds out that they're polyam or trans or whatever. Like, actually, I don't think that they're allowed to discriminate against trans, but definitely polyam, you know, um, but you know, the, uh, people get kicked out of their homes, right? People get kicked out of their families of origin for being gay or trans or whatever, any of these things. So like, there's a lot of those types of things that, that like, I don't want to take away from. And like, when I talk about marginalized communities, like that's the stuff that comes to mind for me right, is people that have really had life kick the shit out of them for, you know, whatever reason, and they've just been struggling and struggling, and there's, there's, there's hope, you know, I think that, 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 that if there's anything that I'm getting from you, Mike, is that there's hope, you know, no matter what the situation that you're in. 
Yeah, you brought up a very good point, which is that, you know, I, I think there is there. I think there's a some people have this belief that everything is fine and everyone can become wealthy. And if you're not wealthy, it's your fault. And and I very strongly disagree with that. I think there is systemic injustice and that leads to financial injustice in our society. There are people mm -hmm. who are. Are, are, you know, like I said, kicked out of their home for no fault of their own. It's not like they missed payments. It's just that they were disagreeing with the person who had financial power over them. And that is injustice. And as long as there is injustice, I've got plenty of work to do. So the way I figure it is that I don't want to say that, oh, you know, everyone can be fine and, you know, it's just your fault if you don't, you know, so I don't want to be Pollyanna about that. But I also do believe that within the confines of this sometimes very unjust world, we have more power than we think. Mm -hmm. We can actually work within the confines of the system that is put around us that we maybe had nothing to do with. That maybe is just because we are who we are that we can work within that and we can find a way to thrive. Yes. Yep. So yeah. I don't say it's, I don't say it's easy. I don't say, you know, everyone can do it. I believe that it is possible and I believe that we can do that. And that is basically how my mission, how my passion is, is that I want to help people who feel like they can't and I want to change their mind and tell them that they can. Yes. Yes. Hell yes. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, Mike, I, I just uh, want to thank you for spending some time with me today. I feel like we really got to know each other. Um, I would love to, to pick your brain more uh, later on. So um, before we head out, I want to ask you a couple of things. First of all, is there anything that I missed? Is there anything that you wish that I had asked or some final thoughts that you might want to leave uh, with the audience? So, um, so a couple of things. Thanks for asking. So it's, first of all, that that five day money reset that I was talking about, that's a free th offer that I have. So I'm, I wasn't you know, mentioning that for, for anything other than that's a free thing you can do. You can sign up on my website at empathicfinance.com and you can you'll see it right there. Uh, so the other thing is that, you know, so I am so I am a money coach. I'm a financial coach. So I help professionals and anyone who is interested in improving their money story and improving their money situation. I help people get to a better place with money and to feel better about their money situation. So if that's something you're interested in, hit me up, go to empathicfinance.com and shoot me an email. And I would love to help you on your money journey. Awesome. Um, and the last thing I'm going to ask you, and I'm just going to ask you because I have you here. So I told you I'm looking to start my own financial coaching thing, right? And uh, the first person that I'm going to talk to is somebody that I know uh, personally. And like, we're setting this up for a few days from now. And I'm like jotting down ideas like, okay, well, I'm going to start talking about, you know, what is an asset? What's a liability? We'll do a, a budget. What would you tell me? Like, what are the first things that you would go over with one of your clients? Well, the first thing I, I would do is I, I want to I, I would want to start with getting information before I start being prescriptive. You know, I never tell people this is how much you should spend and this is what you should do. I never go even when I understand people's financial situation, I never point the finger and say this is what you should do and not. I let someone tell me what's important. And so mm -hmm. what I would do is I would go on a big fact finding mission and I would say on the practical side, you know, what do you have? What do you not have? What are you looking for? And then also the emotional side, which is that what are your goals? What are your challenges? Mm -hmm. What are your dreams? 
you know, what, where do you see yourself in five, 10, 20, 50 years? You know, all of those things are, they inform your, your money picture and, and arguably they, they supersede it. So I would, I would spend some time asking a lot of questions about what makes your friend, your person, your colleague tick and find out what's really important to them. And then that is the, that's the building blocks for uh, figuring out what their, their money path is from there. It's fantastic. Mike, once again, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with me, for spending some time with me. I really, really appreciate it. Once again, everybody, uh, follow Mike at Mike Pumphrey Money Coach on Instagram. And for more information, go to empathicfinance.com. This was awesome, dude. Thank you so much. It was great. <laughs> it was great chatting with you. Hope to do it again soon. Absolutely. And thank you, as always, to our live audience for tuning in. Remember, when we're live, you get no commercial downloads, no commercial interruptions. Downloads? But the same can't be said for the podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 Pacific time, or sign up for our Patreon, where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. That's all we've got for you all today. Thank you one more time to Mike and for everybody else. Until next time. Have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.